when you were saying that um talking about the next generation I actually I'm sorry I was thinking about my daughter because like I'm teaching her hella shit that my parents didn't teach me (laughs) and then the clients that I'm working with I'm like you know you're in a tough position because you're the one who's breaking this generational cycle it's not going to end with you but what you teach your daughter or whoever's coming after you because of what you've learned they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna be natural for them yeah I was I had this conversation with a mom friend the other day it was and I was like it is it is sometimes like whiplash to like break the generational curse and you just learned it you just Mm -hmm learned it you're just barely integrating the lesson and then you you gotta you get to but you kind of have to because you know better you got to do better you got to turn around right away and practice it so Mm -hmm. like just just the the turnaround is so quick you know I'm like can I sit for a little bit and it's like no I really can't because I have this little one in front of me who is you know that Mm -hmm. I get to speak life into and so I I, because I'm, again, because I know better, I got to do better, but man, it is like you, you learn it. And then two minutes later, you're already implementing it and teaching it to the next generation. And it's like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. What's up, Capuatids? We're back. It's your favorite Ates and welcome to season four. For those just tuning in, we are two Philippinex soul sisters on a decolonizing journey currently based on Turtle Island, aka North America. We met each other again this lifetime in a healing circle, and that's how the Babylon Bruja Book Club podcast was born. This season, we did something a little different by engaging in a series of study break conversations with honored artists, authors, and thought leaders in the Philippines diaspora. We enjoyed connecting with Kapwa with different perspectives and viewpoints. And we're so excited to extend these conversations to you. In this conversation, we sit down with Manang Lauren, licensed marriage family therapist, and her range of personal and professional knowledge. Lauren is a healer, an intergenerational mental health cycle breaker, an advocate, and a fitness coach. Let's get into this nourishing conversation. Okay. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Study Break. We have the prestigious Manang Lauren with us today. And before we dive in, we just kind of want to get grounded, take a quick little few deep breaths. So um, I invite y'all, if you want to participate, just if it's safe to um, close your eyes and just connect back into your body. And just connect back to your breath. Can you hear yourself breathing? Let's take an inhale together. Inhale, push your belly button out. And then when you breathe in, push your belly button in. Breathe out, push your belly button in. Let's do that one more time together. And then out again. You're welcome to breathe now on your own. And I just invite you to come back into your body, into this space. You don't need to worry about what happened today, what's gonna happen next. Can you just be present here and feel into how it feels to be here and to let go? And as always, I mean, I always acknowledge the ancestors of the lands we reside on. For me, that's the Bay Miwok Yokuts. And for her, that's the mound builders of the Shawnee, Wyan, Dot. What else is? Shawnee, Miami, Wyan, Dot, and the mound builders that are the Hopewell and the Adena. Adena peoples. You can also chime in with the peoples that you're the land you're on too. Any other intentions? And as you come back here, um, you can open your eyes now. Thank you for participating in some breath work. And here we are with Manang Lauren. 
Aimi, Atta Aimi, and Atta Steph. And we'd love to open it up. Um, introduce yourself, Manang. What do you do? Have done? Tell the people about yourself. Um, I'm guessing, can you hear me? I'm guessing that I was invited based off of my Instagram, because <laughs> that's where I know most of you. Uh, so my name is Lauren Torres Vinescas. I am also from um, the unceded territory, not from, but I'm currently living on the unceded territory of the Miwok tribes. I'm also known as Benicia, California, the 707 in the Bay. Um, I am currently, my identity is one part mother. So when you said let go of things, I was actually imagining letting go of my family that's upstairs. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Actually, I'm in a place where I really want to hang out with them. Um, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I own a, I own a what I like to call a boutique private practice here in the Bay Area. I serve primarily Asian American, Filipina, and Pacific Islander women. And I am also a clinical supervisor for Asian perinatal advocates, family support services in the city. Uh, a little bit about the agency. I'm new to the agency. But it's awesome so far because I have decentered white men in my career. I am surrounded by Asian women. So it's beautiful. <laughs> and we provide services specifically for San Francisco residents living in Visitation Valley of San Francisco, which has just been named a Pacific Island Heritage cultural neighborhood of the city. There's a lot of API, Chinese American, it's a very diverse community um, by the Cat Palace. And we provide services at five different schools. So I train clinicians on providing school-based counseling in that neighborhood. And we also, I train them how to do therapy with adults. And so the community that we serve is primarily um, bilingual immigrants. And so there's a lot of issues that go on with trying to have that population access American mental health. Mm. Um, and so I'm teaching them a lot about systems work right now. And yeah, that's my identity. That's what I spend most of my time when I'm not, if I'm not with my family, that's what I spend my time doing. Mm. And it might sound like a lot, but I am here to do it. And so it doesn't feel like burden or anything like that. It's pretty aligned. And yeah, I've been in mental health for 20 years. I used to actually work in the jails. So working oh. in the jails, <laughs> from working in the jails to now working from home. It's a beautiful transition. Um, I learned a lot. <laughs> and yeah, I guess we can start start from there. Wow, 20 years. Yeah, don't, I just I look like I'm 28, huh? <laughs> no, you don't. You look like you're 20. <laughs> yeah. And no raisin. You know I, get, I get that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm, almost, I'm almost 40. You believe? <laughs> so you were twenty in the in the jail system mm -hmm. doing. You were doing mental health work um, with with um, the inmates. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So my my bachelor's is actually in criminal justice. I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. So I did the whole like that was in political science, went to criminal justice, took the LSAT, failed the LSAT, didn't get very far <laughs> and then I was like well what am I going to do with my life and I ended up going into counseling because of the work I was doing so mm. I would go into the San Francisco County Jail and I would work primarily with the homeless population okay my job was to help get them out of jail and into yeah. programs so yeah. that they could get the treatment that they needed right mm. and services that they needed um, and I started to realize that a lot of folks I was working with had severe mental illness and I knew nothing about it uh. so I went back yeah, I went back to school so that I could understand more about like diagnoses because um, I was working with folks who had severe psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you are definitely <laughs> um, in the community and doing a lot of work. So yeah, I appreciate that for sure. Um, so when I first um, started following you on Instagram, um, <laughs> you were Kiona's self-defense is that mm -hmm. something that uh I can ask about I invite you to talk more about that like what was your journey from um Kiona self-defense and now you're like Manang Manang Lauren yeah so I hated my job <laughs> I hated my job 
in 2022, I realized that I, I hated that what I was doing because I went from working a full-time job to then working full-time and overnight shifts and extra work because my trauma response to the pandemic was to work more. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, I need to show everyone that I'm so essential. And so I started to work more and it drained me. And so I started to think of a exit plan. And this was around the time everyone was on the internet. So there are a lot of like folks teaching you how to make money on the internet, how to do this, this and that. And I got sucked in and I ended up starting a business because I was like, it was actually the second, the third iteration of the business. So at first I was going to open a baby clothes shop, clothes okay. shop with all these baby clothes and um, and then I was going to open up a bike shop because I saw like, these little bikes that were hella cute and I have a daughter. So I was like, oh, I could use her and her out. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I was like, well, what really like what really matters to me? Right. And at the time I had a friend who he was actually my supplier. He was the one I found all my merchandise from mm-hmm. my products from. And he convinced me to do he's like, you're the perfect person to, to like promote these type of things. Um this was around the height. I, I remember starting the business right when the the women in Atlanta were sh- uh, they were killed in Atlanta. They were murdered by that man. Yeah. And the age I just remember being yeah at the, the spa in Atlanta. Yeah. I think it was twenty. Oh, um, you went it, to that same spa? No, I I opened the business like two weeks before that happened. And so there was like this influx of a lot of Asian American women in the Bay Area who are like feeling scared, feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't my, it wasn't my idea to be like, oh, let me capitalize off of this fear. It actually happened before that all happened. But I guess the fear, I mean, the whole um, the violence against Asian American community was really televised and promoted, not promoted, but like. Right. You'd see it every day, right? Um, with the pandemic and whatnot. And so yeah, I just started selling. I was like, I would go on my overnight shifts at the jail and I would like make my website and film stupid shit. And like I I mean, I actually shouldn't say that because I, I was able to bring in some of my products. So I was sold self-defense products. So tasers, stun guns, not tasers. They wouldn't they wouldn't approve me to sell tasers because I wasn't law enforcement. Um, but yeah, so stun guns, knives, um, batons, I have batons. That was my favorite one was batons, Mm. um, alarms. So I sold a lot of stuff. I was doing it mostly online and on Instagram, which was fun, but it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so I ended up going to pop-ups to see how that would go. And I attended a lot of Asian, like Pacific Islander pop-ups, which was hella fun because like, all these brown folks, it's community, like it was like a party and I was making money, um, but it was a lot of physical labor. And what I found was that when I was at the pop-ups, I would talk, be talking to the women about why they, why I felt they needed this yeah. like for your protection, for your safety. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I'm a therapist already. So people would just naturally tell me about their lives and just yeah. hearing story after story after story of, of you know, whatnot, of violence, of assaults. Um, I decided to start my practice. It was also the other attempt to get out of working a government job that I hated. Yeah. Um, I had been almost overworking in the jails. I actually almost got attacked in a jail. And that's that's when I was like, nah, (laughs) I don't have any more compassion. (laughs) Yeah. But and yeah, I mean, I had I had resisted opening private practice because of my own history, right? Like I hadn't unpacked a lot of my own history and at this point in my life I just felt like the natural thing to do like I had to step into my role as a therapist and really start working with the people I was supposed to be working with so I work right now I have a full private practice of about 18 to 20 clients that I see regularly on top of my full-time job and uh wait you have a (laughs) full-time job and a practice yeah. Your practice is not your full. No. And then I have a dog. Yeah. No, it's crazy. But here's the thing. Like if I hadn't stepped, if I hadn't tried to start that fucking baby, sorry, I don't know if I can cuss. No, if you, I can hadn't, cuss. you can, you can cuss. If I hadn't like 
started thinking about an exit plan out of working that particular job, my life is so flexible right now that I can do both at the same time mm-hmm. and still be here to do things like this, make time for, yeah. right? So uh, yeah, that's where I am. I focus mostly on, again, like I said, Asian American, Pacific Island, Filipino women, most of whom are working through intergenerational trauma. So a lot yeah. of family stuff, um, folks who have experienced sexual assault, folks who are um, navigating their identities as women. Um, I'm, I work with a lot of like late 20s to early 30s, which I love because that's when your Saturn return is. So they're like shifting from being young adults to actual adults. And I love seeing the progress of like, yeah, set the boundary, like mm. communicate better. Let's let's talk about what we want in the life. You yeah, know? It's, it's a really I love the age. I love it so much. There's a lot of change that happens during that time in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> I love the turn to Saturn returns, you know, the astrology, the cosmos. That's actually one of our things. So do you know your sun, moon rising? I mean, I know that I'm a Pisces. I don't know the difference between I I I was I'm not one to, I wasn't one to really study it, but I know for sure that I'm a Pisces. Like I I everything I read, like I'm wishy-washy, I'm a daydreamer. You can never really count on me. <laughs> like I have like in my late teens to 20s I was always like damn those are such bad traits you're such a bad friend but then I was like as I'm getting towards my 40s I'm like that's just the way I am I'm not hurting nobody yeah you know, I'm gonna say sorry and I'm gonna let you know and I'm gonna communicate but I might not show up when you invite me I'm sorry yeah and you know what else about Pisces they're super deep they're mm-hmm. very intuitive and they are healers so, you know, there's always the shadow and side to everything, but those, those things I do see in you as well. Like you're, you're very much a healer, you know, you know, I see the, the way you show up on the Instagrams and your stuff is very intuitive. So, and I know I really love your vision and, you know, your, the, the way that you present therapy, I honestly like, was like, man, what, I need somebody like you out here in Ohio who practices out here in Ohio for real. Mm-hmm. But, um, can you, um, you know, this is the Babylon Bruja podcast. So can you speak more perhaps a little bit about your spiritual journey and maybe how that, uh, informs you as a therapist, like your spiritual journey or, you know, cultural, like cultural identity how that kind of informs um how you show up as a therapist if if my so I'm currently rearranging my office but if it wasn't blurred you would see hella like like I got the the Bobylon crest right here from the nice. Bobylon book I've got yeah I've got okay so and it's blue too hella Pisces <laughs> yeah <laughs> I consider this so like, a friend of mine, I don't know if you know her. She's, I feel like she's an actual revival. Her name is Daphne. So she is like a, an old college friend of mine. And I go to her to get healed um, every now and then. And she calls her room a prayer room. Mm. And so this room, I don't pray in here, but it feels like, like a heart chamber. Mm. Like mm. It, it feels so insane because this is where I do my therapy. This is where I meet with my clients and I do my work. And so I, I really wanted it to feel like I was coming into something sacred. Like, I don't know if you can see, but the light actually looks like a portal around my door. Yeah. And sometimes I'll turn it off at, at the end of session. Um, so I guess my spiritual journey and how I am a form as a therapist, well, working in the jails and seeing how folks who were, had who meet the criteria for severe <clears throat> mental illness uh, was like the basis of my like social justice training. This shit's hella fucked up. And I, so I decided, I decided I didn't want to do law school because it was too hard to get in <laughs> at the time. I was like, fuck this. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'll learn about mental health since I'm working about mental health folks. So I went and I found like the one at the time, like the one out of three or the one out of many schools that I didn't have to take a test to get into. Like some schools you had to take the GRA. I was like, which one do I not have to take a test for? And that was a little funny. And it ended up being um, one of the first holistic counseling um, programs that is, was in California. Like oh, it wow. was literally started by these 
hippie men who did LSD. No. So it's JFK. So I was going to go to CIAS, but it's too expensive. I know. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because the shit that I have to pay off right now is hell expensive. I know, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't trade it. Honestly, I had a supervisor ask me if you if you knew anything different about what your path was, would it be any different? I would say no. Um, because this holistic program, it it went away from your like patriarchal, white-centered. I mean, there were a lot of white men, but it was like, you didn't have to take a test. There was not like grades. Nice. Like you, you did the work and then they would grade you on how you showed up. Cause mm-hmm. like when you're a therapist and I have one of my clients say this to me, like, uh, she's, uh, she said that therapists who have a lot of credentials or certifications tend to be less emotionally available because yeah. they're all up in their head. They're all about, and that's what I'm learning as a supervisor. Uh, I'm, not, I'm going, I'm veering away from your question. That's okay. Yeah, so I went to school. I chose this school because there was no structure. It felt like, you know, it felt like this free, like, holistic, right? It really felt like we did mandalas. We went camping. Nice. Um, and oh. yeah, it was cool. It was it. It was kind of surreal. It's like you like going to school in a hippie commune and being the only Filipino there. <laughs> and just like you get it because you're, you know, you come from an indigenous culture. We get it like the white people and their in their food and their you know land stuff because we come from the same kind of blood um which is from the earth but like they had they had it their own way <laughs> like their white american way and i was like i dig it it's kind of weird but you know i get it and then but the reason why i truly chose it because it it left room for me to bring in um like the bylaw like it mm-hmm. it led the path for me to to find the Babylon. Mm. So while I was in school, 2010, yeah. which was a really hard year, personally, um, a best friend of mine passed away and mm. um, I got cheated on. It was like the worst. Oh, and I, ended, but I, it was this year that I went, that I went to the first international Babylon conference. So the first one that um, the Lenny held up in Sonoma, <laughs> I met hella folks there. Um, it was also kind of weird. <laughs> it was like, Oh, now all the hippies are Filipino. Like I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to the dancing and the singing and the chanting and the art. And all. I, I just wasn't used to hearing all these things. You know, you're just, you're used to your Americanized education. And then when you come in and people are like, that's real, you know? Yeah. They're like talking, you're doing a dream circle, you know, and they're, they're, Tell, talking about all these words that you hear like I don't speak like all of but like you just feel it right I felt yeah. it there and I'm still connected with a few of the folks I'm a little um I have social anxiety or social I have some social anxiety so I ended I have I have issue I don't know if it's Pisces, right <laughs> I I tend to go in and out of social groups so like I'll know a lot of people but no one will really be like super connected to me I, I prefer I prefer it that way I feel like if I am going to take on a healer um role that it, it protects me because yeah. all those people I, I know that. is mm-hmm. yeah so it protects me but it's nice to like like I already feel connected to you I don't know y'all like but I've never met you, but like I feel like there's a connection and that's that's okay. what I yeah, what I kind of hold and so I went to the con the conference I ended up learning about Pahalana, and then I taught that whole concept to my class as a project. I sang, did all this hippie shit, and I was like singing. It was so funny, because I was singing Colors of the Wind, and then I sang Lupang Hinirang, and I started crying, and I was like, this is what spirituality is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, tell me, I was just, I don't know, it was crazy. But it, it had me seeing um, things that I previously was like, calling hippie shit right yeah and then and actually feeling it embodying it and then seeing people other people go through their process incorporating integrating um yeah and so that's where that is um that's beautiful you gotta have yeah. some Aquarius in you because that's Aquarius <laughs> this is Aquarius she got Aquarius I got Aquarius I'm Aquarius that's what Aquarius is doing we we're like detached but we really care a lot yeah. yeah when you were like yeah I'm in and out of social groups but no one really like I only have few people who really like that's her I that's her 
your moon, right, sis? My Scorpio moon, probably. That's no, my you're, you're rising. You're rising. Yeah. Oh, my Aquarius rising. Yeah. I'm a I'm sun. So. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I love. I we're in the age of Aquarius. So. We are. We are. Which so, like- your um. Sorry, sis. Did I cut you off? No, I was just saying we're in the age of Aquarius. So everybody's like in developing their inner rebel. Like, why? You know, do I really have to go with the norm? Question. How long does that last? How long is that going to last? Does that, does that usher us into an age of like, all right, we got what we wanted when we were rebelling. Now we're all cool because I would like to get there. Yeah, it does. After that, I think it's ending soon. I don't know when though, but we had came from the Pisces area, which the oh, the healed healer. The yeah, we went Pisces and then it's Aquarius, and I think actually after that is Capricorn, and that's when. According to the pe- the astrologers, the people who study this, that's when like all the things that we're actually fighting for, that's going to be like g- the next generation generation that's actually going to implement all those changes. Like we're here fighting for all that change. And like the generation under us is listening and watching and learning. And then they're going to take up the mantle and just like. I got goosebumps. You know I mean? You're like, I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna cry. <laughs> to be yeah, because well, that's it, what they call the the alpha. They're the alpha. The alpha generation starting over. Yeah. And this is Western, by the way. We must say because I know oh, someone out there is gonna be like, "That's Western astrology," but yeah. you know, energy the don't last. Stars, the stars and stars. Yeah, yeah. When, we are the stars. We are well, the stars. When you were saying that, um, talking about the next generation, I actually, I'm sorry, I was thinking about my daughter because, yeah. like. I'm teaching her hella shit that my parents didn't teach me. <laughs> and then the clients that I'm working with, I'm like, you know, you're in a tough position because you're the one who's breaking this generational cycle. It's not going to end with you, but what you teach your daughter or whoever's yes. coming after you because yeah. of what you've learned, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to be natural for them. Yeah. I was, I had this conversation with a mom friend the other day it was, and I was like, it is, it is sometimes like whiplash to like break the generational curse. And you just learned it. You just mm-hmm. learned it. You're just barely integrating the lesson. And then you, t- you got to, you get to, but you kind of have to, cause you know, better, you got to do better. You got to turn around right away and practice it. So mm-hmm. like just, just the, the turnaround is so quick. You know, I'm like, can I sit for a little bit? And it's like, no, I really can't because I no. have this little one in front of me who is, you know, that I get to speak life into. And so I, I, because I, again, because I know better, I got to do better, but man, it is like you, you learn it. And then two minutes later, you're already implementing it and teaching it to the next generation. And it's like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> The thing that the thing that I've seen, or maybe it's just from my from my experience, is that it's kind of like riding a bike. Like you're scared to get on it because it's like, oh shit, now I have to take the training wheels on. But like when you learn how to ride a bike, your body never really learns how to forget. Like forget. You could not ride a bike for 20 years and you'd see a bike hop on it and it would still know. I I think I think it would know. And so like it's kind of like we already carried all of these lessons that we were trying to teach. And so once they're awakened in us and once we are practicing them so much that they're embodied, it's like play. It's not work anymore. Because when I look at my daughter and she's throwing a tantrum, I'm like, that's so cute. That would cute for throwing a tantrum. I'll come <laughs> over here. You know, I don't, it's like, I don't need to yell. I don't need to fight. I know she's doing her thing. Like we have this understanding that every human being soul is doing their thing when they're rebelling or whatnot as a uh. mother and a child. Yeah. I love that. That is beautiful. <laughs> I hope that people can get there, that their trauma. It's it's kind of sad to say um, that like you have to turn, you have to somehow turn your trauma into something playful, something not playful and joyful, but like you have to make meaning out of it so that it doesn't pierce your heart every time. Mm. You have to have understanding okay. of it. Like, I guess what example I could say is like one of the reasons why I really resisted wanting to be a therapist for women who experience sexual assault is because I had experienced sexual assault. And I was like, I don't know if I want to talk about that all day with people. But I found that, but I found that like as a therapist now, I don't have to always talk about your trauma. 
I could talk to you like a homegirl, like we're talking and it's still therapeutic. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't have to be like, oh, do you feel that in your body? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, you know, just like, yeah. bitch, where did you feel that? I know you felt that somewhere. Feel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How does it make you feel? I mean, um, that is one of my most used questions, though. I know. I know. I know you're a therapist. You're training to be a therapist. Too. Emerging. I know. I was like, are you going to be a supervisor when I start? <laughs> how, how are you feeling in your program? Like, you know, I'm already what you know. It's, 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 it's fun to be in a space that is curated by a brown woman. The director is, uh, she's a, She's Japanese and Hispanic or Latinx, but she understands her white presenting privilege. But so, um, but to be in a program where like, like there are white people and then to bring the brown perspective, like it's just, it's, I think the most uncomfortable person in my class is a white boy, like to be honest. And that's their karma. You know, and I just, I'm like, I don't, but I find myself like, am I making him feel uncomfortable on purpose, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's definitely more, I think, cutting edge. I, I do just, I, when you're saying they don't do grades and tests and stuff, I hate that shit too. And I think that that's so like, we would argue like these theories are white people based, like, so, and I love seeing that there's more Brown people curating, like, well, what about this theory? Or like, what about this model or framework? It brings in the Brown perspective. So, but that's just what brown people do. We always be adjusting and because <laughs> we have to, because we yeah. had to, yeah, and we will continue to. Yeah. So, but I start clinicals next uh, month, and that'll be okay. interesting. So, Does that mean you get your first clients? Yeah, yeah. We work with the Vallejo uh, Crisis Center, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I used to run a crisis program in Vallejo. It lasted all of two weeks and all, or two months, and I was like, "No, nah, saying it either." <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I had to, I've been doing crisis so long that it was it. Like I said, it's nice to be able to have my own space and do my healing work here and not in. Yeah. Word. I wonder how you feel, like, you know, as a you said earlier in the beginning, bringing like would you say Western or American therapy to the Asian X communities you're working with? Like, I guess, like, what does that look like? I'm just curious. Um, it looks like parents, not, so I, a lot, about 80% of our clientele are students. So folks are, who are coming from elementary school and middle school and you know, as a therapist, we cannot be your therapist unless your parents gives us a, a consent. Your parents are okay. Uh, 12, the age for consent in California is 12 years old. And so when you're dealing with an eight-year-old who has suicidal thoughts and their parents don't believe in mental health, like what really, so it, what it looks like is what I'm trying to teach my clinicians right now is working with kids is not just working with the kid. You got to work with the school, you got to work with the family, you got to work with the parents, you got to work, you know, in the systems-based thing, because we're not singular, we're not alone. When when we say community or healing happens in community, that's what we mean. And I have to bring that in. And it's really about how can you sell the idea of therapy to a a parent? Mm. How is this going to support the parent? So I feel like right now there's a movement towards keeping kids because we want to protect our kids but like as a parent myself I would want to know if my child was somehow you know referred to mental health counseling and why so I could be part of that um there is no real mental health concept for Asian communities Mm. like that term is not I don't know if there's a literal term for it and it's in the system so I'm working within the mental health system if we were in the Philippines, they probably wouldn't have the same like medical insurance that they, hoops that people yeah. have to jump through or language barriers. That's one of our biggest thing right now. A lot of our clinicians are English speaking only, but we have Cantonese, Mandarin, Vietnamese, Spanish speaking population. So how do we get them connected? That's oh. one thing that we're, that we're looking at right now is like, how can we encourage our youth or like our college students to do this work? because it's much needed 
And how can we encourage it from a viewpoint of like your culture is part of that, you know? Like I speak a lot about like Hilo and what I've learned about Hilo and what I learned about um, spirit and, and how we view life and animism and how everything is connected, all of those things yes. I view. And I bring that in, mm. right? It's not just about your family, it's about everything. Um, and that's such a big concept, but yeah, like, it like <laughs> I know they, they caution a little bit about it in the, in school. So, oh, they do now. But the thing is like, the thing is, is these immigrant families are coming from a place where they had access to the things that nourish their spirit. Yeah. Right. Like you have, I don't know if they did. I can't say that. Actually, I take that back. We don't know if it's changing this world. But at least, you know, you had your food, you had your language, you had your religious practices, you had things that looked like what you grew up in and what your ancestors grew up in. Here, we don't have a lot of that, right? You have your Chinatown, your Filipino town, your Pacific Island heritage, but you don't have the land. You don't have the language in your ear. You have all, I don't know, you have all these sterile classrooms where back home people were playing outside in the dirt I don't know I remember doing that as a kid I learned denickling when I was a four-year-old my daughter's four now and you know I have to think about putting her in school and so it's really trying to translate that like your child is suffering how can we help you help your child and, yeah. and you know in, in our tribal cult and tribalness of it the tribalness of ourselves we're like no no outsiders no systems mm-hmm. and you know our systems do hella bad shit and so there's a lot of history around that but how can you come as a person and, mm. and really support this family because you can see the, the trajectory if it continues yeah behaviors and, and certain things yeah that's beautiful we, lmft like yeah. It's very marriage family systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. LMFT almost like honors the village energy of like, you know, this is a unit. How do we work as a unit? Yes. So, yep. The LMF, yeah. And yeah, there's a difference. There is a difference because I also supervise LCSWs or um, MSWs and they come from more of like a system. Like how is this like the bigger systems affecting uh, there's there's less of a there's less of an interpersonal like I really like one of my MSWs and I had to really teach like the relationship like you know the basis of your therapeutic relationship uh, is the relationship yeah you don't would, like if your if your client doesn't like you it doesn't ma- matter how much you know because they're they, not going to want to talk to you right? therapy is like dating that's how <laughs> yeah, it is you really got like trusted your right sis yeah yeah you do and then when when the time is over when you feel like it feels feels difficult to have that conversation as well so I mean I left three therapists uh because I knew they were just weren't I was like you are nervous (laughs) like I know more than you (laughs) you are nervous I'm like trying to therapize my therapist I'm like are you okay is that what I'm telling you like I know what I feel that way I know you? Yeah, one of mine, I'm just like, it's like, I'm talking to a girlfriend that like, just asked like, so what does that mean? Like, what did he yeah. say? What did, what did they say? And I'm just like, aren't you supposed to like, help me like unpack? Like, I don't know. Uh, like, that's interesting. Do you like the homegirl vibe that she gives you? No, I don't. It's, it's, it's like, I get more substance in this than I would like with her. So I have, yeah, firing problems, obviously. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to find a good therapist. I, I know. That's really why I raise my rates. Yeah. <laughs> the value, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. I actually pay out of pocket for one because I, I, um, I'm exploring EMBR right now. So that's. that's for yourself? Or yeah. For as a training? For myself, actually. I would love to implement it. I would love to implement it. And I know that you do plant-based or plant guided. So I, it's not plant guided because I am not trained. It is cannabis friendly. So what that means for me is that I'm not going to judge people for their use of cannabis um, as a healing agent. And I can provide guidance on how cannabis can affect your mental health and your medication. Mm. So I work with folks who are also on medication. And one of the things I do is I help them monitor 
their symptoms when they're smoking, when they're not smoking? How is it affecting you? And I wouldn't say like, oh, you need to smoke or you don't need to smoke. Like, how is it in your life? Yeah. And let's talk about it, you know? I just have to ask, have, do they come to sessions high? Like I had one girl come and I was like, there is no way you are not high. Cause she, <laughs> she had, she had her cell phone like this and she had, I mean, I can't, she might watch this, but I, I have had people come. Could you, are you allowed to treat them? Like huh? I, one of my professors was like, I don't treat my, I don't do it if they're high or if they're intoxicated, whatever, you know, the West. In grad school, I that, that was a big it was a big discussion in one of our classes, and everybody was saying the same thing. And I was like, I guess it's. A, I told them I was like, I guess it depends because you don't know how some people function when they're high. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm high right now, and I'm like, I know what all y'all are thinking and saying and feeling right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, my you can't inter- judge. My intuition, yeah. like and Tita cannabis. That's what I call her. She's Tita energy to me. Yeah. Yeah. She actually brings out a different like level of, I think, Babylonic kind of uh, superpower. Yeah. When I I went to the Babylon, that Babylon concert, I I made friends with everyone who was a pothead and we all like snuck away. Yeah. (laughs) I went for a hike and then came back. (laughs) And I was like, I I I mean, I I, I will say I am a pothead, but I, I do have a very spiritual relationship with cannabis myself. Yes. So I can understand how people can be turned on and turned off by it because I've seen both. So I Same. do caution folks, like I wouldn't say cannabis is for everybody. If you have schizophrenia or a very, very deep traumatic childhood, mm. it really will be a gateway for you to harder drugs. there there is some truth to that because people will start with it but Uh then the high is not high enough yeah so then they graduate to higher highs which is like heroin or methamphetamine which is the folks that I used to work with so so I've seen it yeah I've seen that transgression or that trend that happen so I I do really caution against like I'm afraid of things of cocaine and heroin and all that shit because of what I've seen I'm like no I would never touch that ever I think really the spiritual aspect of it, um, when when you look at it through that lens versus like, oh, it's a fun party thing, there's a different aspect of Tita cannabis that comes out. So I really, I really respect, I really respect your view on that. Every time I get high, I'm always like the Oracle. I tell my, I tell my husband, the Oracle is here. Please yes. have questions. And usually it's just, I'm just having fun. It's usually like bullshit answers. But then sometimes I, I like land on some stuff. He's like, whoa. I'm like, I know. Did you record? That? <laughs> <laughs> who, who got Girl, that? Sometimes I'd be recording things when I'm high. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did this whole speech on ADHD. And then I was like, yeah. Yeah. We, I record stuff all the time too. I told, I told, uh, my, I told my husband, well, when we're like 80, we'll make a podcast of all our recordings we've done while we're high. Revisits, yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to add that it's not just cannabis. Like a lot of the, I'm not trained in any of the plant medicine, like I mushrooms or any of that. I don't speak like I know a lot of things, but one thing I do know is that there is a high risk for folks. Like they, I think that people, what you said about party drugs, like, I think that some people mistake those met plant medicines as plant medicines to have a good time when they're yeah. really the real medicine is if you use it as medicine and there's yes. an intention and there's a ceremony yes. and there's yes. because there's a lot of things that can go wrong if yes. you're just with somebody who's like oh I did ayahuasca yesterday so now I can show everybody else how to do ayahuasca nah right. like you have to be able to sit with somebody should way. something go wrong yeah yeah. Um, yeah. Because I mean, plant medicine, there was a shaman, like there is a spiritual medium that connects you to the spirit of the plant medicine. I think that that's like the bigger conversation. I don't know if we have time to like, cause I could talk about that ever. Cause yeah. like, you know, plants, like there is a spiritual, even just to like cacao is one of my favorites. And I mm. have that like almost every day. And I just that, started taking cacao. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a heart opener. Heart opener yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's helped, it's helped me tremendously with some generational grief and mm. things like that. So, yeah. 
and living at home with my parents, like I'm like, Ooh, I need my heart. Open. I need your heart. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, but anyway, that's, I think that's the lost part of like the party drug. And I hate when people even call cannabis a drug because it's not like, or, or psilocybin. It's uh, psilocybin is like the new cannabis. Honestly. It is. It yeah. actually that kind of annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> because I think when you think of plant medicine and you include the integration of ceremony and intention and like, you know, there, there's a lot of healing that comes out of it. But if you use it unintentionally and you're already a traumatized person, mm. the wound gets even deeper mm. because you like your reality, like not only what it does to your brain mentally and physically, like when you're talking about like you're on when you're high, because you have synapses in your brain that are specifically for cannabis. They only pop off when you smoke it. Right. And so if you're now taking other things and popping off other brain synapses and then sitting in front of a TV and watching Alice in Wonderland, what really are you doing for your brain? But frying mm. it? Whoa. What right. So if, but if when you're in ceremony, like you're in ceremony with other people, you're in a collective space. And then afterwards you have time for integration to share that space. Yes. That's where the healing happens. It's not in the drug. It's in the space yes. and the community. Yeah, the plants are, a, they're a vehicle, like, and so it does kind of make me a little sad that, you know, I do hear a lot of positive experiences with psilocybin. Yeah. I just feel like it's part of the hype as well, because they say the thing about cannabis, but then people are like, a lot of people I know are stopping because it enhances their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's just, I don't know. I feel like that's the bigger conversation about plant medicine in general. Like, how are we approaching it, especially with the younger generations? Like, I think there's a sacredness that is not being honored and it's, it's, um, it's disrespectful. I'm just going to say so. It's capitalism. I was just going to say that it's capitalism. That's why we have the microdose. So, because you're taking little by little, so you're going to want to take more and more and more and more. Mm. I would listen to a really good podcast. that was talking about the, how, capitalism is, is destroying plant medicine. And plant I know. Ceremonies, yeah. Yeah. Cause they got like ayahuasca retreats now in Costa Rica and Brazil and mm-hmm. they're making like retreat getaways. Cause you know, people want vacations and things they like that. They have them here in California, girl. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Well, we want to be respectful of your time, Manang Lauren. We oh, have a couple you. more questions. Are you? Um, I have eight minutes. Eight minutes. We have a session at seven. Okay. Well, let's. Thank you. Um, Let's see. What since we are talking babaylan, bruja things. What one of the questions we always ask our guests is like: Is there are there any rituals that you do that um, you return to daily that either help your spirit or help you in your practice? Um, What do do you care to share? uh, One of those. Uh, I mean, other than smoking a blunt in the morning, <laughs> I literally do every day. Um, one one thing I have to do, especially on days that I see clients, is I have to do breath work. Mm. So what you did this in the beginning of the session, I try to do, I do that in the middle of sessions or afterwards, because that's how I release all the energy that has gone through me yes. through yes. those sessions. So I have to release some of that Um Today I did a, a Zumba break because <laughs> I had a I had a had a really like not I had a really deep session with somebody and I had to shake it out of me. Um, yeah. What else? I. That's that's good. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. I have to breathe. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. one thing, one more thing that I do do now because I'm in front of a lot of technology is I stare off into space. Like I stare off into the distance yeah, yeah. Um, to help my to help my eyes readjust to the depths that it, it naturally needs to be able to see. Yes. And I read that like a lot of shamans and healers, they would, that's why they'd meditate. They would sit on top of mountains and look and, and find the answers mm-hmm. by just staring out. Yeah. I so I'm that. like, I like that feeling of just like not being in front of, like resetting with nature mm-hmm. because I'm in front of technology so much. Yeah. 
Beautiful. I love that. I love the way like the there was a concept called indigenous innovation that we talked about like last season about how, you know, you take these modalities from modern times, but then you tie them back to animism and to, you know, Babylon and um, just marry them together to go forward, right? We go, we look back to go forward. And I see that so much in your practice. So thank you so much for being here today and for blessing us with your wisdom. Yes. And yes, thank you. Thank you. 10 times over and let us know or let people know listening in if you know I don't know if you're taking more clients but how they can find you follow you um so I'm less active on social media now because I'm full however in my full-time job um I am actually going to be putting together a support group for mothers so it's a support group for mothers specifically who have children between the ages of zero to five and the reason why that age is one, because our funding comes from first five. And then two, because I really believe that between zero to five is really where you solidify your relationship with your child. Like everything that you do in those five years are very, very, very critical and sets the stage for everything that happens later on in life. And so if we can get our mothers to be well taken care of, to be knowledgeable, to be regulated and to be aware of their impact, because it's very important to be a mom. I'm not just counting fathers, but like there's something about being inside of another person yeah. Yeah. and having held that, that I'm not going to let go of. And so yeah. I really feel, and especially since my daughter. So I'm doing a support group. It's going to be Mondays starting at the end of January. It will only be for San Francisco residents. Um, we'll be providing childcare and I'll be providing um, reimbursement for Clipper, our transportation needs, because um, that's also part of our agency is how can we break down those barriers that's amazing. for the folks, right? And so the two barriers for mothers is money and childcare. So yeah. if I can provide that and snacks, of course, um, and if snacks. I can provide that, <laughs> then that's what I'll be doing. And I don't know, I'm not losing any clients, which I think is a good sign. So I don't know if I'll be open, but if, if you follow me on, on Instagram um, at Mon and Warren, um, I'll be posting if I have any openings from there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mon and Lauren. Thank you too. Take care. All right. Take care. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.